I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, it's been quite a week uh, for us here uh, in the in the Putnam household. Uh, we had a little bit of adventure, and if you follow my blog, of course, you've already seen this. Uh, I blog over at the Pathios Network. The blog is called A Belief Observed, but you can get there by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking on the link there in the menu that says blog. It'll take you straight there. Uh, but we had uh, a little bit of a, um, gosh, a, I don't even know what to call it. It wasn't a tragedy, but it was definitely an emergency. Uh, we were there in the playroom trying to figure out uh, how to make the second half of the day better than the first half. Because the first half of the day had gone uh, pretty well. All the kids together, uh, I think, must have huddled together and figured out, how can we make mom's day hard? <laughs> what what can we do to ignore all of the instructions that mom is giving us and and just take her to the edge? Uh, so that was what the morning was like. And so I, um, I went upstairs. I was working from home that day. I went upstairs and I was... Uh, trying to make the second half of the day better than the first. We sent the oldest down to make a lunch for the youngers, and we were having conversations with some of the youngers as we went along. And then all of a sudden, uh, all of our plans changed. You know, we, had, we, we wanted things to go according to routine. We wanted things to, uh, to go according to the way that they generally go in our family, and this was already a divergent day. When, uh, when the little one, the littlest, the 11-month-old, was on the floor right in front of us, and he just coughed a little bit, and then his mom looked at him and realized that he was not breathing. He had stopped, and he was taking little little gasps, kind of like, <gasps> like that. And uh, so she picked him up and tried to get whatever was in his mouth out, and it was not coming out. There was nothing in there. Uh, so I took over, started making use of all of the first aid I learned back, oh, gosh, Far too long ago now. I was an Eagle Scout way back in the day, uh, and nothing was working. We we prayed. We uh, she called nine one one immediately, and we waited uh, for the ambulance to arrive as we continued trying to do things that would help him uh, be able to catch a breath. And he just turned a little blue and started getting really lethargic, and that was surprising to me. I really expected that when you uh, are unable to breathe, that you would be frantic. And he just got very very docile and began to get lethargic and. Uh, luckily, uh, whatever, whatever we did in that process, somewhere along the line, he gave out a tiny little cry, spit up a little bit of something that wasn't enough to block his airway. So I still don't know. We still at this point don't know what happened. Uh, and it was a, it was a frightening thing. It was a very frightening thing. Um, we ended up, we took him to the hospital, uh, the ambulance took him, he and his mother to the hospital, they ran tests and basically the end of the day was, well, we ran all these tests. We have no idea what happened, which is not very consoling, uh, if you've ever been in that situation. So we're going to, we have another doctor's appointment here after the, after the weekend, we're going to take him and see what we can't figure out. Um, but it was a frightening thing, this idea that as a parent, there are some things that you have no control over. There are some situations that no matter what you do, uh, you can't bring about a good end. You know, we did everything we could, and he ended up being okay this time. But I know for many, many parents all around uh, the world, they, they don't have this outcome. 
they they stumble upon uh, and find that their child has snuck out and ended up in the bottom of a pool, or that ended up uh, coming into contact, playing with uh, many blind uh, poles and ending up getting tangled up in those. There's all kinds of stories of parents who do everything right, and they're good parents, and they have ninja children who, like ours, uh, who can sneak by and end up in a deadly situation. And so as you go about this week, uh, you know, we say our prayer of gratitude that our child, uh, we were able to come out with a good outcome. But as you think about that this week and you think about uh, maybe you recall sometimes in your own life, whether you were the child or whether you were the parent, uh, where a similar thing happened, why don't you spend some time in prayer for those parents who who didn't have a good outcome, that they did everything that they could and they lost that child because I can't think of anything more devastating uh, than the loss of a child. As a parent, you, you, you know that your children are temporary, right? I know uh, that if I'm going to be a good parent, that when they turn 18, I want them to be launched. I want them to go out into the world and to experience different things. And I know that in that way, I'll lose influence and I'll lose uh, the, the close connection that a parent and child enjoy in those early years. And I know that success means that I no longer have my child. And yet the idea that that would happen uh, before we're ready as parents, uh, and not because we've launched them off, but because somehow they were lost to us. What, what a deep emotional pain I have, even just thinking about it and relating that to you. Uh, and so join me this week. I'm going to spend this week really, uh, I haven't found what novena I'm going to pray. If you know of a great novena, why don't you mention it over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter, the handles at outside the walls, but I'm going to spend nine days and maybe I'll just write out a quick little prayer each day, uh, for nine days over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Why don't you hold me to that? And together you and I can pray for, for those parents who have suffered just uh, overwhelming tragedy of the loss of a child. Uh, so we'll do that over the next uh, nine days, starting, uh, we'll, we'll, start, uh, we'll start today. We'll start today. Why don't you go over there and we'll do that first prayer. Speaking of plans changing, this is not at all what I had hoped today's show would be about, right? And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I, it's such a significant event in my life that I just can't imagine not bringing it up here, Right. Uh, because for me, it, it's so important that I have the ability to pass on to my children these things uh, about faith that are important to me. And the, the thought of, you know, I, I was able to pass on to, to Simeon, my youngest. I, was, I gave him baptism, right? I offered him to the church. I, I gave him to God. And I did that through the sacrament of baptism, which, which ensures him in these early days the, the sacramental graces of God and, and, a, and a place of friendship with God. Uh, but, you know, my, my dream is to be able and my desire is to be able to impart to my children uh, the important things of faith. Last week, we talked with John Mark Grodi about Scripture. I uh, had a great conversation with him, and we talked about a number of things. This week, I wanted to talk with, uh, with someone about how do we— what are some practical ways that we can pass on uh, a love of Scripture to our children and to really give them an understanding of Scripture that goes beyond their years? You know, when we parent our children, uh, Kristen and I, 
we parent them to be adults. We don't parent them as a three-year-old. We parent them as a 35-year-old and help them grow into that, right? So when we talk about, we use phrases, we use uh, all kinds of different things that prepare them that they don't understand entirely right now. They, they get it at their level, but it prepares them for later. So for instance, uh, as we talk about, um, you know, don't run around the house, we say, okay, what happens when you use things in a way they're not meant to be used? And the answer that they, that they give back, because it's a call and response, we have this uh, set up. The answer is uh, they break or they break us, right? That when we use things and that we're talking mainly about you know, don't stand on the furniture and don't uh, swing the bat in the house next to uh, the glass tabletop, right? That's what we're talking about with the children. But we can get to a place where now we're talking about the theology of the body and we're talking about how we relate to one another uh, as human beings and specifically in the realm of sexuality. What happens when we use uh, something or someone in a way they're not meant to be used all of a sudden, now that phrase, they break or they break us, it gets into a more uh, emotional side of things rather than the physicality of glass breaking, right? And so we try to do those little things, and that's just one example. We have tons of things like that that are preparing them for a future understanding that they can't fully grasp right now. And so uh, today, what we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about a book series that my oldest son, absolutely adores, uh, called the, uh, the gospel time trekkers, uh, available from Pauline press, pauline.org. And we're going to be talking with the author of those books today, sister Maria Grace Datino. She's the daughter of St. Paul, part of the Pauline, uh, order. Uh, you know, we've talked to several other daughters of St. Paul. We had a conversation with one sister about her experience with mother Teresa. We've had a uh, sister Teresa Alethea on here several times, uh, and so this is a, a young woman from that same order who happens to also be uh, an author uh, of these of these children's books. And in these children's books, she's doing that same thing that we do as parents. She's giving them information that they can't fully understand right now, but when when they get older and they begin thinking in a more um, uh, less concrete way and a more uh, abstract way. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, when they start thinking in a more abstract way, these things will start to make more sense to them. And all of a sudden they'll be equipped and they'll be prepared to approach scripture in a really positive way. Uh, this is an, an interview you're not going to want to miss. And this is a book series you're not going to want to miss. It's the Gospel Time Trekkers from Pauline Press, pauline.org. And if you have any children Within your circle of influence, whether they be your own children or grandchildren or God godchildren or however the case may be, uh, nieces and nephews, this is a book series to get them to help them cultivate a love for Scripture, a love for Jesus Christ, and to prepare them uh, to participate fully in the liturgy and in all of the beauty that the church has for us. This is don't go anywhere because that's coming right up right after this break. Uh, why don't you join me on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. And, uh, tell me, tell me what you think. Come pray with me. Let's have a, let's have a conversation. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Thanks for sticking through the break. Glad to have you here today. Man, we got a great show for you here in the second week of Ordinary Time, second Saturday of Ordinary Time. And uh, last week, we talked with John Mark Grodi about Scripture and what that means for us as adults. Uh, And this week, we're going to talk about it uh, as it relates to children and how to get children really interested and involved in Scripture. I talked to you just before the break about my uh, my oldest son. He turned nine. uh, And talking about the kinds of books that we're wanting him to read and the, the kinds of things we're wanting him to appropriate. And one of his favorite book series Uh, is the Gospel Time Trekkers, available on uh, the Pauline Press from the Daughters of St. Paul. And we have here with us today Sister Maria Grace Dettino, who is the author of that book, also a daughter of St. Paul. So glad to have you here today. Thank you so much. So I I have to tell you, uh, most of the time my son says, uh, oh, I picked up this new book and and I'm, okay, that's all right. And so he's had these Gospel Time Trekkers probably for about three years now. Uh, we were at the, the Wichita Family Conference uh, in Wichita, Kansas, and he got sick, and he was not able to go to the catechism classes. And so kind of as a consolation prize, I went over to the the bookstore that was there and let him pick out a book. And so he picked out one of the Gospel Time Trekkers and has just become engrossed in them. Uh, and I didn't think much about it until I thought, well, hey, maybe I'll have you on. Uh, and then I began to look into the theory behind what you were doing and what you were introducing. And I'm just now really excited about these books and really disappointed that there's only six of them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people ask, are you going to write more? But this series, it's really its own series, but I, I am working on a follow-up series. Oh, great, great. Yeah. So talk, talk to us a little bit about the, the premise of the books uh, and and how through them you introduce children to uh, to Scripture. Well, my whole desire with writing these was to help um, kids like really want to know Jesus more, mm-hmm. like th- to have the desire by because the characters who go back in time and and they meet other people whose lives were changed by meeting Jesus. So they really want to see Jesus. So that was like my, my the main thing I was trying to do, because if they you know, if we desire to know him better and to. Um, to know him well, then of course it will happen because he desires it too. So, um, but doing that with scripture, because um, I think sometimes when we hear these stories, it just sounds like a story, but really there were real people, the Mm -hmm. people that met Jesus in the gospels and whose lives were changed. Even though we don't always get very much of the story, we only get the tiny little bit that the Holy Spirit thought was appropriate for us to know about, but there's, they were real people. So I kind of imagine some of the, the circumstances and some of the other details to to tell the story for kids. And you know, that's not necessarily a a new idea because there's lots of historical fiction out there. Lots of people who are writing uh, these children's books that that take them either to you know like C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. You had the allegory where you took them to creation. You took them to these to the the crucifixion. These different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other people out there who are you know I think of um, I grew up Protestant. My wife grew up Protestant. There's that like whole Adventures and Odyssey, mm-hmm. uh, and it's that same idea, but uh, where you've got these. Uh, modern-day children who somehow find themselves in biblical stories. But there's something that you do uh, in these books that is, to my knowledge, completely unique. And you are preparing them for Lexio Divina, uh, which is what we talked about on the show last week. Uh, how do you go about doing that? Um, I, I have to admit that I didn't think, um, I'm going to write books that prepare children for Lexio Divina. Um, but I think... 
the fact that um, it's opening to them the stories and giving them a sense, even just to know what the, t- the times were like back then, how people mm-hmm. lived and everything. So then when you read the scripture, it can come alive because those details, like even the one about that has about doing about fishing, mm-hmm. it doesn't have all the stories of people look at the cover and they think, oh, this must be like the storm on the sea or whatever. Well, it's not. But when they read that, that will make more sense because of this. So and it will right. come alive. Yeah. Right. Um, and I especially am also tying it like it's preparing them for Alexio and also for liturgy because mm-hmm. how the book ends, they right. always end up going to Sunday mass and something and getting something makes more sense. Something clicks yeah. when they go to mass, you know, but how do you see it? Like I, w- I was very curious when you said that other people have said to me, Oh, I see that you've used Ignatian prayer for this. And right. I'm like, well, actually I wasn't thinking of that either, but it is like that also fits. So how are you thinking of it as connected with like Lexio? Well, as, as I look at this, first of all, one of the first things about Lexio, at least the way I've, I've learned it and I'm a convert, so maybe I do it wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. But is that you, you look at what, what are the sights? What are the smells? What are the what are the things that are going on around the story that can really help me understand better what this story is actually conveying? Because we approach it with our modern eyes and with uh, with our understanding of things as they are. But as one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite quotes out there is that Scripture was written uh, for us, but not to us. And so there's this importance of understanding. Uh, that there are some things we're going to have to work on in terms of understanding culture before we can really understand uh, Scripture. And you lay that all out. I mean, the book that I read today, you, you're talking about weights and measures and what that means, and you go through this whole process, and you're explaining to them things about that cultural context that will help them, I think, in their understanding as they come to appropriate Scripture later, that, oh, well, this isn't—I I can't just trust in my own uh, knowledge of things as they are— I really should take some time to study. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That um, that's exactly what I was trying to do as far as the culture and the times. Um, one of the people that endorsed my books was um, Mark Hart, mm-hmm. who's involved with um, Teen Life Teen, but he has little kids too. And he said one of the things he said that I was I was like so so gratifying. He said. After reading these books, your kids will know more than most most Catholic adults about the times of you know of Jesus and about mm-hmm. scripture. Well, but that's really um, yeah, it's true. We don't we we don't know the general way people live, so sometimes things can seem very odd to us. But if we know a little more of the background, it, it helps to get the meaning of the scripture. We're talking with Sister Maria Grace Dettino today, daughter of St. Paul and author of the series, Gospel Time Trekkers. Uh, This is just a a fabulous book series, and it looks like you are a seasoned professional. Is this your first foray into writing for children? Um, This is my first fiction series, but um, I have written a few other little things for kids. For example, The Mass Explained for Kids, which Mm -hmm. is a very popular um, explanation of the Mass that was done at the time of the New Translation. And then um, the Stations of the Cross for children and mm-hmm. little introductions to another little My First Missile, that kind of thing. But um, this is my first my first fiction. Now, the, the Daughters of St. Paul is specifically a media order. It's an order mm-hmm. that, that looks to spread the gospel through whatever means possible uh, of mass media, books and internet. And uh, some of the sisters do movie reviews. Some of the sisters do Facebook Live constant. Well, Periscope, actually. A lot of Periscope. Uh, CDs, all kinds of different things. And so in, in my mind, there's just like this, um, this, this publishing house that's always a buzz and, and it's 
all your responsibilities are, okay, it's time to write another book. Uh, so what is it that you do when you're not writing there for the order? Um, I actually, I'm an acquiring editor, but not for kids books, but for adult books. Okay. Um, and I write kids things in my free time. <laughs> I, I don't do any of, I'm really not into social media. I, um, you'll, you know, we're in all of these things, but not all of us are in all of them. You'll right. notice you have to kind of specialize. So books are more my thing. Yeah. Wonderful. So now let's talk a little bit about, you said that you might have a, uh, a follow-up children's series coming. What are some of the ideas that you can, are, are you allowed to share those or are they top secret right now? I don't want to say too much, partly because I don't want to spoil it, but also I'm not really sure. <laughs> but I can say I've told people it's it's like the Acts of the Apostles. It's mm-hmm. continuing, but it's going to be a little bit older reading level. Okay. And um, and so it's not a con- it's not a continuation, but it's related. There's a there's things that are related to the first series. So let's talk about this first series. These these six books. You have these children, uh, th- uh, brother and. Uh, a boy and his brother and sister, so two boys and a girl, and they um, find themselves, without explanation, traveling back to the time of Jesus. And you take them through from Bethlehem all the way through the course of the six books, all the way to the resurrection, uh, as they are always just one step away from actually meeting Jesus face to face. What are what what surprised you? Because mo- a lot of the authors I talk to, they say something about their writing process or something about the characters actually surprised them. What is it about uh, Caleb and his brother and sister that surprised you uh, as you were writing? Um, I think writing fiction. I've written other drafts of things that are not published too, and I'm always surprised that of the stuff that comes out. Like mm-hmm. I have some kind of idea, but then as I start writing, the characters kind of like develop their own character and right. start doing things and saying things. And um, I got used to these three, but each book has other kid characters who are back in the time of Jesus that don't repeat. Mm-hmm. And some of those like Rebecca in um, the third book, she just like came alive and started chatting and chatting and chatting. And like, I, sometimes it's amazing to me when I read it afterward that I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you now, you have these books, they're written from the perspective of Caleb. Uh, do you, you have an older brother? Was he, would, do you have Caleb based on your older brother or someone else that you know? Or um, No, not really, not my older brother. I, um, I wanted to write from the middle boy's point of view mm-hmm. because I was hoping these books would appeal to boys. But he has a sister and a little brother. And so it's kind of like sometimes... He feels more inclined to his older sister and his little brother is like a annoying little mm-hmm. dumb brother. And sometimes it's like kind of like boys and like, oh, the older sister, you know. So I kind of thought you could get different, um, the different relationships of siblings. I always love reading books from the time I was young and I read books now. I always like to read them about siblings. Yeah. We're talking with Sister Maria Grace Dettino. Uh, author of the Gospel Time Trekkers. She is a daughter of St. Paul, uh, and the books are available on Pauline Press. You can get them over at pauline.org. You're going to want to check these out. Buy them for your godchild, for your son, for your grandchild, whoever. Great books. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're here today. Uh, we're talking today about, uh, about introducing our children to Scripture. Uh, we, we want them to, to love the Scriptures just as much as we do. We want them to participate in the Mass. We want them to understand that it's more than a dusty book, but there's something life-giving in Scripture. So last week we talked uh, with John Mark Grodi about how we ourselves can approach Scripture and appropriate that. And uh, I challenged you, if you've not yet done it, uh, you can go and become a member of the Coming Home Network at chnetwork.org and download that that reading thing, the, the reading guide where you read through the, the Scripture and the Catechism in the course of a year. You just go over there to chnetwork.org, go to the, the resources area, and that's a free download, or you can uh, purchase for a dollar the cardstock version of that. Uh, but obviously that's something a little bit over the level of a child. And I have six, six children. And so I, I'm really interested and concerned with how do I, uh, through the work that I do as a father, introduce my children to Scripture, whether that be through our evening prayer times, whether that be through uh, sitting through Mass. But these are things that I, as a father, kind of impose on them. How can I encourage my children to explore Scripture uh, for themselves. And so as we're having this conversation, we're talking with Sister Maria Grace Dettino of the Daughters of St. Paul, and she's the author of this fabulous book series. And they're, they're really affordable for children's books as well. Y'all ought to charge more, frankly, sister. Uh, <laughs> but the great book uh, fiction series called The Gospel Time Trekkers. Uh, and we're talking with Sister today. Sister Maria, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So we're talking about Caleb. Caleb is the uh, protagonist of our uh, adventures here, and his uh, his sister and brother, who who go on these unexplainable and yet unforgettable adventures, where they find themselves transported back to the time of Christ uh, and learn about Christ there, and are always just kind of one step away from actually meeting him. And they really that builds desire, and and uh, you sense that they really, the more that they learn about Christ, they really want to know uh, Jesus. And I'm reminded of my, um, my oldest daughter, uh, and she, she wants to hear Jesus with, her, with his real voice. She doesn't want to wait for the quiet, still quiet voice in her head. She wants to hear him with his real voice, and that's the terminology she used as she was younger. And, and I sense that hunger in, in these, three, uh, these three children, uh, but you've done something here throughout the book is you are planting in them, in children who read, you're planting in them the desire to, to know Christ like this, but you're also giving them windows into how they can know Christ where they are. So talk a little bit about that and, and your, your desire in that and the direction that you took to make that happen. Well, first of all, the obvious thing is the scripture story. So like, um, meeting Jesus in the scriptures. But then at the end of each book, um, it always ends with them going to Mass on Sunday. And something during the Mass, something clicks that they get. And um, Caleb, especially because we're seeing it through his point of view, Caleb um, gets closer and closer to Jesus and talks to him a little bit. There's little bits of his prayer and stuff. Um, I think the... Um, I want them to learn how to, to meet Jesus in the liturgy in the mass itself. And also the liturgical year, it's not, 
it's not really like explicitly said anywhere, but the, the whole series of six books follows the liturgical year accurately, the scripture readings of year B of the liturgical year. So it will match next year that we're in year A this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, for example, the, the last book, when they go to, it's, it's how the book itself has the Easter story. Um, but when they go to Mass on Sunday at the end of the book, it's the Feast of Christ the King is the end of the liturgical year. And it connects King. They're like, wait a minute. We didn't think Jesus is a king. We thought he was like, you know, a carpenter and uh, whatever, you know, like, how is he a king? Right. So they get, they understand more about the king and the connection in that year um, that is the passion. It's the um, the pilot talking to Jesus is the gospel reading. So like the priest in the homily, I had so much fun writing Father Joe's homilies for him. Um, <laughs> he connects the, the um, Jesus as king and the passion of Jesus and how, and then how we're connected through our baptism. Like he gets, says this in a few little things and Caleb like starts to get that we're supposed to be participating at mass. Like we're supposed to, we're doing something. We're like a part of it and we are offering ourselves, you know, with Jesus. So it's like trying to get them to um, meet Jesus in the liturgy, in the liturgical year. And then in actually in the Eucharistic liturgy. Well, and the one that I read, and I'm assuming that you did this in all of them. After you go through that part of the liturgy where you're talking to them about how this connects then you take them to where this appears in Scripture, and you print out that whole passage of the story that we just read. You print out that whole passage of where they can meet Christ in the Scriptures uh, of this story that they just finished. Yes, that's like a little appendix at the end of each book. It says, where is it in the Bible? Mm-hmm. And it puts the actual text through. Sometimes it's like the one that you read, it's the entire story of the daughter of Jairus. Some books, there's more than one story. So it will have like the wedding at Cana and the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. Mm-hmm. And then one of them takes place in Genezaret. Um, so right. it has just that tiny little passage about Genezaret. They landed at Genezaret and they got out and people came and, you know, just that little quote. So there's some of them have multiple passages and some just have one. Yeah. So if you, uh, if you were to talk to a parent about these books uh, that, that had never heard of them before, because right now we are. We're talking to parents who have never heard about this book. What would you say to them? Who, who would benefit from reading these books? Uh, well, sometimes just to get people to get the uh, general idea of them, I say, have your kids read the Magic Treehouse series? Yeah. <laughs> because that's a common series people have heard of and actually where I got the idea originally for doing it. But I, um, I often recommend that we say like six to nine years old or read aloud for five or six who can't read. Mm-hmm. Um, but any any Catholic children that, um, that um, especially if they like fiction, if they like adventure, the one that you read is called The Mystery of the Missing Jars. So that mystery appeal appeals to a lot of kids. Right. Um, but I just reckon, I, I tell any parents that their kids, <laughs> their kids would love them. Yeah. Well, I can, I can attest that my kids love them, absolutely love them. So let's shift gears just a little bit. Uh, because you are a daughter of St. Paul. Uh, you're you're now living in Boston, Massachusetts, but you're from Virginia originally. Yes. Uh, you have siblings yourself. How did you find yourself uh, entering into the vocation of ministry as a daughter of St. Paul? I, um, I usually think of my vocation story starting when I was first went to kindergarten. I went to St. Bernadette's Catholic School in Springfield, Virginia. Um, and when I went, there were 
two sisters left in the school teaching and weren't really teaching. One was the principal and her name was Sister Maria Immaculata. And my name is Maria. My my baptism name is Maria. My profession name is Grace. So Mm -hmm. when I first met a sister with the name, same name as me, I thought that means I could be a sister. Okay. I know that's not, that's like five-year-old reasoning, but (laughs) But but that's what first name, (laughs) that's what made me think of it first. I I had no idea that half the nuns in the world have Maria or Marie (laughs) or Mary in their name. I didn't know that at the time. To me, it was just an amazing thing. And from that time, I would sometimes think of it like as a possible, I thought of a lot of other stuff. I, I loved, I love math and science. So I thought of doing stuff. I wanted to get married and have a lot of kids. I thought of different things. But mm-hmm. then in high school, the, the idea really came back to me strongly and I kept thinking about it. And that's when I, I started really looking around. Um, and my first problem was I couldn't find a community of sisters that I felt called to. Like I knew I didn't really want to be a teacher mm-hmm. and I, I knew I had no call to do anything with the medical profession. <laughs> so any kind of nursing order was out. So what was like, what would it be? And then when I met our sisters, I was like, oh, like, okay, I get a good book that can help people. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I visited and, you know, what started the process of getting to know the sisters. So tell so, me, what was the, how did you meet the daughters of St. Paul? When, when, when were you first uh, exposed um, to them? They a couple of them came to my parish, St. Lawrence Parish in uh, in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, there was no school there, so I went to the next door school for yeah. um, school. But they came for the mother daughter dinner, which we had every year there. Women of the parish came, and we always won the prize for the most daughters because I'm one of um, five girls. Mm-hmm. My brother didn't get to come because it's the mother daughter dinner, right? And so they always have a speaker. And so they invited two daughters of St. Paul and they were pretty new in the diocese, I think. Um, and one spoke and they had a little book exhibit and that's how I first met the sisters. And so how old were you at this time? I was 15. Okay. Yeah. I, I like to point out the different, uh, the different vocation stories of the, the various priests and, and deacons and religious that we have on here because they're all so different. You know, we have this idea, speaking of taking people to understand Scripture, I like to take people to understand the orders as well, because we have this specific idea of what it's supposed to look like, right? (laughs) Whether that be Scripture or whether that be a person's journey into their full vocation. Uh, And and it rarely is that way. I love that that idea that, oh, well, this sister's name the same as me. I, I guess anyone, I guess even I could be a sister. I mean, not me personally, because, you know, I'm facial hair and whatnot. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I love this, this idea that God calls each of us to a vocation. Now, what that vocation is, is something that is a, the process of discernment and uh, knowing Christ and being in touch with the Holy Spirit. But the fact is, we all have a, dis, a, a discernment, uh, a vocation to discern, a discernment process to walk through. Uh, and so I, I love hearing these stories. Uh, Today we've been talking with Sister Maria Grace Dettino. She's the author of the Gospel Time Trekkers. You can get that on Pauline Press, pauline.org. Yes. And she's a a daughter of St. Paul, along with uh, several others that we have interviewed here before. We're going to put a link to them over in our social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I'm specifically going to link to these books because you need to take a look at them You've got someone in your life who could benefit from them. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad to have you. Well, if you missed any part of this show or you want to share it, as always, this will be archived very soon over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You go right over there and click on the day, and lo and behold, you have it. You can even, if you so desire, uh, it, just share this directly to your social media, to Facebook or Twitter or whatever else you want, uh, and let other people take a listen and a gander to what we have talked about today. And if you find that you're sharing this show a lot, well, I want to encourage you to look into becoming a friend of the show. Uh, yesterday, I gave away a great new book, The Seven Gifts of the Holy Spirit by Kevin Vost, available on Sophia Press. And I gave that away to one of my friends of the show. And it's very easy to become a friend of the show. And you can do it in time for next week's giveaway. All it takes is to go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click on Friend of the Show, and follow the instructions. And for as little as $10 a month, that's one pound of good coffee every month, uh, you can be eligible for all the extra content that we have on our special hidden Facebook page, uh, as well as all the giveaways that we have. Uh, we'll be doing FaceTime chats here very soon, and I hope that you will come and be a part of that. So we've been talking today about giving our kids a glimpse into Scripture, a thirst for the Scripture, uh, and passing on the faith to them. Now, uh, the Second Vatican Council said that parents are the primary educators of their children, and sometimes that can seem a little daunting. But book series like this uh, and, and others can help you with that. But part of this is about really understanding the faith for yourself, right? In order to pass on the faith, you have to really have a sense of it yourself. And I know a lot of people say, oh, I've been Catholic all my life. I know the faith. Well, if you haven't been developing your faith life, if you didn't learn anything past CCD, past your RE, religious education classes, if you haven't picked up anything from the scriptures or from uh, church history or church documents since your confirmation, then I would, I would uh, like to put for your examination the possibility that maybe there's still some things to learn. This is a 2,000-year-old faith. Uh, it's a faith that has rich writings all throughout history, right, uh, from many different cultures, many different places. And still today, we have this beautiful, amazing catechism that even if you've read all the way through it, even if you've read through it multiple times, there are footnotes that you can go through and, and find more depth and more information about this amazing faith of ours. So I want to encourage you to go and read the Catechism again this year. We talked about that last week. If you missed the show, go back to the archives, outsidethewalls.com. And, uh, and then on social media, I put a link to my favorite online Catechism. Uh, there's that, that walk through the Bible and the Catechism a year available over at Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org. Contemplate doing that this year as a way not only to help yourself grow in the faith uh, and deepen your love for Christ, but also uh, as, as a means of helping you help your children grow in their faith. I, I encourage you. And lest we run out of time to do Scripture ourselves today, let's go ahead and go over to usccb.com. Just right there in the right-hand uh, section, there is a calendar. And that calendar, if you click on one of the days, will take you straight to the Scripture of the day. And we've done that. We're here on January 21st, and we're reading that first reading from the book of Hebrews. And we read this. A tabernacle was constructed, the outer one, in which were the lampstands, the table, and the bread of offering, which is called the holy place. Behind the second veil was the tabernacle, called the holy of holies. 
But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come to be, passing through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle not made by hands, that is, not belonging to this creation, he entered once for all into the sanctuary, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a heifer's ashes can sanctify those who are defiled so that their flesh is cleansed, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works to worshiping the living God? That reading comes from the book of Hebrews, and it's still pertinent to us today because so often— we can get caught up in the motions of religion and forget the fact that in this Mass that we attend, we are worshiping the living God. What an amazing thing that that is. We're going to read out of today uh, our reading from church history. We're not going to go back that far. We're going to go to uh, the Second Vatican Council out of Gaudium et Spes, and we're going to read the responsibility, the sanctity of marriage and family. This comes from uh, paragraph number 48 in Gaudium et Spes. And I think that it's uh, relevant to what we're talking about today because this affects how we pass on this faith to our children. So we read this. Husband and wife, by the covenant of marriage, are no longer two, but one flesh. By their intimate union of persons and of actions, they give mutual help and service to each other, experience the meaning of their unity, and gain an even deeper understanding of it day by day. This intimate union in the mutual self-giving of two persons, as well as the good of the children, demands full fidelity from both, and an indissoluble unity between them. Christ the Lord has abundantly blessed this richly complex love, which springs from the divine source of love, and is founded on the model of his union with the church. In earlier times, God met his people in a covenant of love and fidelity. So now, the Savior of mankind, the bridegroom of the church, meets Christian husbands and wives in the sacrament of matrimony. Further, he remains with them in order that as he loved the church and gave himself up for her, so husband and wife may, in mutual self-giving, love each other with perpetual fidelity. True married love is caught up into God's love. It is guided and enriched by the redeeming power of Christ and the saving action of the church in order that the partners may be effectively led to God and receive help and strength in the sublime responsibility of parenthood. Christian partners are therefore strengthened and, as it were, consecrated by a special sacrament for the duties and the dignity of their state. By the power of this sacrament, they fulfill their obligations to each other and to their family and are filled with the Spirit of Christ. This Spirit pervades their whole lives with faith, hope, and love. Thus, they promote their own perfection and each other's sanctification, and so contribute together to the greater glory of God. Hence, with parents leading the way by example and family prayer, their children, indeed all within the family circle, will find it easier to make progress in the natural virtues and salvation and in holiness. Husband and wife, raised to the dignity and the responsibility of parenthood, will be zealous in fulfilling their tasks as educators, especially in the sphere of religious education, a task that is primarily their own. Children as active members of the family contribute in their own way to the holiness of their parents, with the love of grateful hearts, 
with loving respect and trust. They will return the generosity of their parents and will stand by them as true sons and daughters when they meet with the hardship and the loneliness of old age. And that reading comes from Gaudium et Spes, number 48, and it's regarding the family unit and and the sanctity of marriage and the family. And I, I have to chuckle to myself a little bit there at the end where it says that uh, children as active members of the family contribute in their own way to the holiness of their parents. And I think that this is through testing, right? Well, if I if I provide enough of a uh, of of a, a sharp edge, I'll knock some of the rust off of them. Maybe they'll end up holy. <laughs> and so that's why they do the things that they do, right? That's why that they disobey. That's why they're uh, noisy. That's why they don't listen to instructions. It's for it's so that we can practice holiness as parents, right? <laughs> uh, that, it makes me feel better if I think about it that way. And it helps me, honestly, to, when I think about it that way, to respond with a little bit more temperance and a little bit more virtue to say, oh, oh yeah, this is part of their job for me because they're supposed to help make me holy even as I'm trying to help make them holy, even as, even as I, as a parent, am trying to pass on the faith to them. Uh, it's not always easy, Right. In fact, uh, my wife and I were talking earlier this week, and I'm still I'm still contemplating this. Uh, we've talked about writing a, a parenting book, uh, but not just your run-of-the-mill parenting book about this is how you should do it, but maybe a little bit of the um, the the humorous edge of things. Uh, and you know, I, I realized that on this show, I don't really do a whole lot of my humor, and you can thank me for that later. <laughs> But uh, I have a very um, warped sense of humor, I guess. It's a little dry. It's uh, definitely uh, sometimes a little dark, a little word-based. You know, so people say, oh, yeah, well, wow, you've got your – they see our six kids in tow. I'm like, wow, you've got your hands full. Oh, yeah, about half full, I say. Uh, or that you, you have to come up with these witty responses when you're talking about children, because uh, while the church looks at parents who are generous uh, and are self-giving in their, in their uh, planning of their family, and they have multiple children, uh, not our society doesn't so much do that. They kind of look at us like we're crazy. In fact, there's this, this panic that comes over the eyes of people when we walk into a public location. Uh, and by the end of it, they're just in awe that, uh, that the kids do so well. So Kristen and I have talked about... Um, writing some humorous uh, thoughts about our parenting style and experience. Uh, people ask me what my parenting style is, and I say it's shock and awe. It's shock and awe. That's my parenting style. But you have to have a parenting style, right? You have to say, uh, this is how we're going to parent, and we're going to do that consistently, uh, And because we need that consistency. We need it. Our kids need it. And through that, whatever your parenting style is, through that, make sure part of it is passing on the faith. Gosh, that's all the time we have for this week. I could talk all day, but I don't have the time. Why don't you join me over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. We'll continue this conversation as long as you'll let me. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.